Can I add to the welcome that uh, Rodney gave to you? It's good to see you all here this evening. very warm welcome to Charlotte Chapel, especially for your friends or family of those who are being baptized or you've come along specially for the baptismal service. We're delighted to see you here. We hope you'll join us afterwards for coffee, which is served in the lounge. And uh, can I say again to those who are regulars, do make people welcome by speaking to them. If people look like they don't know what's going off, then just uh, go and say hi to them. So it's good to have that opportunity. Let's just pray for a moment and ask God to speak to us through his word. Lord, thank you that you're still the God who speaks to people. We thank you for the way that you've spoken specifically to Melissa, to Rebecca, to Will. And you continue to speak to them and to each one of us if we'll only pay attention. Sometimes, as Will shared, it's through very hard experiences that you finally break through. And we're willing and able to listen. So this evening we pray that this may be such an opportunity for each one of us here. Perhaps some really for the first time. To understand who you are and what you want to say to us. And help us to pay attention and to put into practice what you say to us in obedience and faith. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. He made his announcement at the end of his 50th birthday celebrations. An enormous event held at a huge banqueting hall, attended by the leading figures from the worlds of sport, entertainment, politics and of course business. For the logo of his multinational empire was recognisable throughout the world. Friends, ladies and gentlemen, he concluded his speech. I have enough money to last me for several lifetimes. And I'm therefore announcing that I'm taking early retirement in order to enjoy life to the full while I'm fit and able. While some were surprised, not a few were rather envious and wished that they could do the same. But that very night he had a massive heart attack died in his sleep. And it took an army of lawyers several years to decide who would inherit what he had accumulated. This runs a modern version, one of those stories, we call them parables, that Jesus told when he was on earth. And having told the story, Jesus concluded by telling his hearers and us what we should learn from it. This is what he said. This, this man, this story, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Around 15 years after Jesus said this, his half-brother, James by name, wrote a letter, we've been studying it mostly on Sunday mornings in our small groups. A very practical letter, we've called it Faith That Works. And with echoes of the teaching of Jesus, which we've constantly seen in this letter, James warns his readers and us against what we could call presumptuous planning. And I simply want us this evening, very briefly, to read what he wrote... And then if we are to have a faith that works, 
to put it into practice. So, we read together just a few verses from James. Now, it's a little letter near the end of the Bible, and it's on page 1215. It really would help. There are Bibles in the pews. If you can't see one, just reach over and ask someone uh, to pass one to you. We're going to just read these verses as we do in this church every week. We try to understand what God wants to say to us through his word, the Bible. So, James 4, we're going to read verses 13 through to the end of the chapter, verse 17. Page 1215. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. That's the message. God's message. Now, all of us make plans. Plans for the future. Short-term plans. What are you doing after the service? Long-term plans. What are you doing after you finish your studies? Such planning is essential and sensible. It is not what James or Jesus condemned. No, what they warn us about is presumptuous planning. Planning that fails to take God into account. And in these verses, it's very simple, James highlights two kinds of future planning that we can make. And it's, it's summarised by two little phrases. We will, or if the Lord wills. And I just want to look at each one of them in turn. We've been recommending books, if you want a good book on James. John Blanchard has a book called Truth for Life, a very simple book. And I've kind of borrowed these two headings, so I'll give credit where credit is due. John Blanchard has preached in this church on several occasions. So just two things to say then, alright? Let's look at these two different, two different ways of living and planning. And by the end of it, you should be pretty clear, that's me, one of the two. Alright? First of all, we will, the arrogance that is condemned. Now listen, he says, verse 13, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. It's a, it's a warning. It's a wake-up call. He says, now listen. It's addressed to some first century businessmen who have made their future plans. Uh, notice what they confidently announce. Where they will go, this or that city, when they will leave, today or tomorrow, how long they'll stay, a year, and what they'll do, carry on business, make money. Now, it's important to stress that this is not an anti-capitalistic attack on trade and profit-making. 
let alone on making future plans. No, it is not the activity that is condemned, it is the arrogance that lies behind the activity. Their future plans are characterized by arrogance. And it's highlighted by those two verbs in verse 16. He says, you boast and you brag. The word boast is a kind of neutral word, depending on what you're boasting about. Good or bad. But the word it's linked with, brag, is a very negative word. It was used in the ancient world of wandering charlatans or hucksters who used to travel the world offering their wares and they made extravagant claims about them and what they could do. You know the sort of thing, the elixir of life, secret of eternal youth, instant hairy story, you know, that kind of thing. It's the sort of thing I keep deleting off my email all the time. Do you get those on your email? It's people offering these stupid things and no matter what you do with your spam filter, you can't get rid of them because they change the titles at the top. Okay, that's bragging, all right? Their promises failed to be fulfilled. They were empty claims. And, and James says, you business people, if you're planning like this, y- your claims are empty claims because, first of all, they fail to acknowledge human ignorance. He says, you're acting as though you're absolutely certain about the future. Your own personal future, let alone the future of the world. Uh, they think they can say exactly where they'll be, what they'll be doing in a year's time. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. But James reminds them, and he reminds us, we can't even be sure about tomorrow. He says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Not one of us knows the future. Not even an hour or day ahead, let alone a year or a decade. The future is unknown and uncertain. We all know that, theoretically. Yet in our arrogance, in our innate self-centeredness, We make our future plans as though we know the future, as though we are certain about what will happen. Uh, Most of you know I'm a sports fan. Uh, And you see this happen so often with sports people, don't you? Okay, here's an Englishman speaking three years ago, Johnny Wilkinson. You remember the drop goal? We won the World Cup. And everybody said, greatest player in the world. The whole future lies ahead of him. He's hardly played since then. He just keeps getting injured. I'm not making any particular point about Johnny Wilkinson. I'm just hoping he's fit for the Six Nations. So we beat Scotland and then win the World Cup again. But I mean, it, it, this is really bragging. Empty claims. All right, let's not go there. But the point I'm making is, Johnny didn't know when he kicked that, that he was not going to play for England probably again. Who knows what will happen? None of us knows. It's not just rugby players. None of us know. So the arrogant person acts as though he's certain about the future, but also about his future. And James says, they're not only arrogant because they fail to acknowledge human ignorance, but also because they fail to acknowledge human transience. Uh, That rich fool in the story Jesus told, by the way, you can read it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. He said to himself, soul, you've got many good things laid up for many years. The rich businessmen, James describes, plan for years ahead. They treat time and life like a commodity. And they say, we're rich, we've got plenty of money, and we've got plenty of years. Like gold coins. But James says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little while and then it's vanished. 
Not only is the future uncertain, but our lives are brief and soon past. Now, this is not something you think about a lot till you get older. In my experience, I'm just, I think it's probably true of everyone. When I was in my teens, people in their 30s seemed really old. When I got to 30, I thought, 40s. I actually looked in my records. The last time I preached on this was 10 years ago. And I said, <laughs> I said, when you're in your 50s, 60 seems really old. Okay, friends, I've got five weeks to go before I get the free bus pass. And I really think 70s. If you're in your 70s... <laughs> And it seems to be some sort of mechanism to help us to come to terms or fail to come to terms with the fact that our lives are passing, quickly passing. We live as though we're going to live forever. As though we'll never die, as Woody Allen famously said, I'm not afraid of my death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Now, the Bible, this book, has no such illusions about human life and its brevity. Here in James, he describes it as a mist that soon disappears with the heat of the sun. The word appears, interesting word, it means shining. Now, up it comes and it's bright and attractive, then suddenly it just dissipates. King David in the Bible said, all our days are like a shadow. Another person, Job, said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Shh. Swifter than a runner. So he prays, Lord, remember that my life is but a breath. In the Psalms, life is described as a hand's breadth. Like the evening shadow, like grass which withers away. Not one of us can be sure how long we'll live, yet we make assumptions that we've got plenty of time to come. But we may not, and even if we do, it will pass extremely quickly. So the future plans of those James addresses are empty claims, they're bragging claims, because they fail to acknowledge human ignorance and human transience, but the killer blow, the most important thing of all, is their empty claims because they fail to acknowledge human dependence. You see, these businessmen have made their plans for the future, and they have totally excluded God from their thinking, let alone their planning. In fact, they have no other terms of reference except themselves. They talk to themselves. They assume they have not only the life and breath to carry out their plans, but the ability to accomplish them as well. In the famous words of the 19th century poet, G. Henley, they confidently assert, I am the master of the f my fate, I am the captain of my soul. It's the ultimate mark of arrogance, a failure to acknowledge God, or to recognize that I'm dependent upon him. And James warns us about that kind of boasting and bragging. Now I simply pause at this point, at the end of the first point, to say, does that describe you? Got it all planned out? Future plans? Where does God figure in the equation? If at all. Because he gives an alternative way. Not only the arrogance he condemns, but here's the attitude he commends. If the Lord wills. Look what he says in verse 15. Instead of saying that, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we'll live and do this and do that. You see, it's just the opposite of the first one. The first one was, the verb subject was we, not God. It puts us at the centre. This one puts God at the centre. In fact, very interestingly, James doesn't use the word, the general word for God. He uses the word Lord. 
which describes God as being sovereign, the one who's in control of everything, of all things. And he says, although we are ignorant of the future, God knows the future, the Lord knows the future. And because the Lord knows the future, he knows how many days you've got to go, how long we have to live. So we recognize that the Lord controls our destiny. Our times are in his hands. The wise writer of the Hebrew book of Proverbs said, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails, Proverbs 19:21. And if you know that, and you live that way, you live your life, not with I will, but you live it in humble dependence on God. In the Bible Speaks Today commentary, Alec Matea writes, the very existence of tomorrow is as much a part of our dependence on God as is life itself and our ability. And the sad thing is, it's not only rich businessmen who fail to acknowledge this and live accordingly. Each one of us does the same. We live our lives, we make our plans with little or no thought of God, and sadly many people fail to face up to this until it is too late. It's especially true of those of us who are successful. For success can blind you to the existence of God and for your need to depend upon Him, because you're managing fine. Why do I need God? I can run my life my own way. The tragedy of this story that Jesus told about that rich man was that the only time, the first time he actually stopped to listen to what God said, God said to him, you fool. Do you see what his problem was? His sin was. It was not that he spoke against God. In the parable, he didn't persecute poor people. No, it was not what he did. It's what he failed to do. His sin was that he ignored God completely. See, most of us, if you ask people what's sin or wrongdoing, they'll give you a list of things. And that is wrongdoing. It is sin. They're called sins, the technical word is, they're called sins of commission, things that we commit. Sins we commit. But there are far greater sins, what, what are called sins of omission, the things we omit to do. Which James highlights in the final verse as we come to it. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Jesus was once asked by a religious person, when he was doing his teaching, people would put their hands and ask questions, and a man stood up and he said, excuse me, teacher, he said, what's the first and greatest commandment? You know, what is it most of all that we should be doing? Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And the sad fact is that all of us, without exception, have failed to do that. All of us have sinned. This is the commandment we have all broken. God's verdict, Romans 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God by giving God the glory that is due to him, the honour to him. All of us, <coughs> except one, the one we focused on this evening. Yeah, the focus is on those being baptised, but the focus is on the one that they have come to put their trust in. God sent his son Jesus into the world. He was fully human as we are. Yet this great exception, he was the one person who never lived for himself, but always did God's will. Perfectly. Every time. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't as though, you know, he just had this supernatural power and he could just live that way. No, he was tested in every way, but he always obeyed the Father's will. Yeah, the greatest commandment, which we have all broken, is the commandment which only Jesus kept perfectly. And the greatest test of all 
was whether he would obey the Father and go to a cross and die in our place for our rebellion so that we might be forgiven. Dying in our place. Experiencing God's just anger for sin. Drinking the cup of God's wrath. And so he prayed as he agonised on the night before his crucifixion. He prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Notice the words. The relationship to our verses. Not as I will, but what you will. And the Father's will, prophet Isaiah says, it was the Father's will to bruise him so that we might be forgiven. He went to the cross. But we need to come to God and admit our self-centeredness. We need to say to God, I've lived my life by my own way, by my own plans, and I want to come and confess that, and I want to turn to you and follow your will for my life. It's a transfer of power. It's inviting Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives. And those who are being baptised this evening are symbolically doing this, as Rodney explained. Baptism symbolises death to the old life, I will. And as you come out of the water, it marks the start of a new life, if the Lord wills. You see, I have no idea about the future any more than you have. And neither of any of those being baptised. But I do know this. I know who holds the future. I recognise, we all recognise that our lives soon will pass. We don't know how many years we have yet to live. We come to the end of another year. I don't mean to be morbid. Some of us may not be here in a year's time. Even on this earth. But we entrust however many years we have into God's hands and we pray to God, give us today our daily bread. Just for today. And we have this assurance that when our lives are over, we'll live with him forever because that's what Jesus did. He said, I'm going away to make a place for you and I'll come back and take you to be with me. And we recognise in everything we do that we are dependent on God. To do otherwise is foolish and presumptuous. So we make plans for the future, but always with this proviso, if the Lord wills. Can I say to those who are Christians, just keep that in mind, will you? When I grew up in church, whenever anything was announced in church, it was kind of a ritual. Uh, but people used to say, we will meet next week, DV, it's Latin, Deo Valenti, God willing. It's kind of, you know, you could just say it as a rote sort of thing. But it reminded us that we might not be here next week, that the prayer meeting we've planned for Wednesday may not take place, that that event that we've got in the future, if the Lord wills, we live in humble dependence on God. Almost finished. Let me say one final thing. Um, there are some television programs that have now gone out of business, but when I was growing up, one of the most popular television programs was This Is Your Life. Uh, it ran for many years with Eamon Andrews and then Michael Aspel. And you may, if, you, if you're old enough, you'll remember. Uh, out he came with a big red book and, and, and he popped out with this big red book to some unsuspecting person and said, This is your life! 
And then they carted them off to a television studio and all their mates and friends and family were all gathered there and they all said, this is such a great person, you know. And they shared and it was a, it was a very emotional occasion, you know. They'd, they'd bring their long last long-lost teacher from Australia over, especially for the occasion, they pop out the curtain and, wow, it's a wonderful occasion here. I mean, it was a good program, but there was one thing that always bugged me about it. They never said anything bad about the person. They didn't say, it's great to have your wife here, but we're going to bring the other two. <laughs> you know, they didn't say, and we know how successful you are in business and we want to bring in a few of the people you know that you trampled on on the way to get there that you put out of business. You never said anything negative. No, okay. Wouldn't have made good... Well, it might have made good television. But <laughs> <laughs> the Bible says, one day, each one of us will stand before God who will give a true account of our lives. Interesting that one description the Bible says, he says, at the last day the books will be opened. The records will be read. And none of us knows when that moment will be, but all of us one day will stand before God and we'll give an account for our life. And we'll receive God's verdict. I'll receive God's verdict on my life. And he will say, essentially, maybe not these exact words, but he'll say one of two things to each one of us. If you have lived your life in ignorance of God, ignoring him, without any acknowledgement of who God is in your life, he will say to you, you fool. And I have to tell you, on the basis of what Jesus said, you face a lost eternity without God. You chose to live in this life without God. By choice, therefore, you will live for eternity without him. But if you've lived your life in dependence upon God, however poorly you may have done it, those things that you wish nobody to know will be erased from the record. And if you've lived to serve God, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I conclude by asking you, how are you planning for your life, for your future? Make your choice now, not then, when it will be too late. Let's just pray for a moment.